This year's Biblical Symposium of the Orthodox Center for the Advancement of Biblical Studies will be held online Saturday, June 13, 2020. Space is limited to 100 attendees, so register today by going to ephesusschool.org. Father William Mills, author of Losing My Religion, is the featured keynote speaker. Other presenters include the Very Reverend Dr. Paul Nadim Tarazi, Dr. Nikolai Roddy, Professor of Hebrew Bible and Old Testament at Creighton University, and Dr. Richard Benton and Father Mark Bulos of the Bible as Literature podcast. Register today by going to EphesusSchool.org. <laughs> Welcome again, ladies and gentlemen, to the Tawahedo Bible Study. This is your host, Deacon Henok Elias. We are in the first scroll of Peter, and this week we'll be tackling chapter 2. Before we get into that, as always, make sure that wherever you are listening to this podcast, to subscribe, share the ideas the words and the actions associated with this podcast with people, as well as send them the link wherever it is that they can listen to it. And if you find it in your thoughts, please donate to this ministry at patreon.com slash tawahado, p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash tawahado. So we are in the first scroll of Peter, or the rock, or Cephas, or Kepha, chapter 2, and we will be dealing with the RSV today. Here are verses 1 to 3. So put away all malice, and all guile, and insincerity, and envy, and all slander. Like newborn babes, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation, for you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. I have a particularly heavy heart while I'm recording this. There are protests all over the United States, and uh, it's all over the blatant and public murdering of George Floyd by police. I have certain political perspectives on how this has gone down and the history and the context behind all this. But as much as possible, I try to emphasize the Orthodox Christianity, which is supposed to guide me, and the height of that tradition, which are the Holy Scriptures or the Sacred Scriptures, which are we are reading together and going through. In any event, may God rest his breath of life in the bosom of our scriptural fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And may he send all of us watching all over the world his comforting and reassuring spirit, especially to the family and to the friends of George Floyd. And uh, all protesters, may we get a glimpse of justice this side of Judgment Day, and may he grant his mercy to the police and to the President of the United States, and we'll get to that later on in the text. But in the beginning here, in verses 1 to 3, we have a reminding of the Psalms that say, Taste and see the goodness of the Lord. It's something tangible. It's something palpable. It's something that is sensory, the goodness of the Lord. It's also called the kindness of the Lord, the forbearance of the Lord, the steadfastness 
of the Lord, the other side of justice or mercy. The mercy of the Lord endures forever. We have to keep our thoughts on this mercy. We have to keep our thoughts and our senses focused on this as we make sure that within us there's no fakeness, there's no hypocrisy, there's no evil, there's no uh, trickery or deceit, there's no envy or jealousy, there's nothing about us um, that is of these things. In the example or the parable given here, we have an example that's close to home. There are various mothers who argue nowadays that artificial cow milk is not good for babies, but human breast milk is superior. How much more superior then is the spiritual breast milk that the apostle Peter or the apostle known as the rock here is suggesting for us? How much more beautiful is it to drink pure spiritual milk, to drink the spiritualized milk that is the scriptures? And especially we have to remember at this context, this time, the scriptures to be drunk are the Hebrew Bible. Later on, we could talk about the canonization of the later Pauline letters and the Petrine letters, which we're going through one of them right now. Verses 4 to 10. Come to him, to that living stone, rejected by men, but in God's sight, chosen and precious. And like living stones, be yourselves built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and he who believes in him will not be put to shame. To you, therefore, who believe, he is precious. But for those who do not believe, the very stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner, and a stone that will make men stumble, a rock that will make them fall. For they stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, that you may declare the wonderful deeds of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were no people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In the Johnine literature, we'll see this play between darkness and light, which Genesis 1 or Bereshit 1 in the beginning chapter 1 already begins off by separating the light from the darkness. And so we need to make sure we're on the side of light. We need to make sure that as we read this text, we understand it. It means a lot to me because I read it during my ordination to the diaconate during the Mount Zion holiday of the Gezrite or the Aksumite rite within the Alexandrian rite. And in it, it is inviting us to reread Exodus chapter 19 and, of course, all of the Torah or the original first five books. It's also inviting us to read Isaiah chapter 28 and, of course, the whole scroll of Isaiah, which was sufficient enough for the Ethiopian eunuch to believe and trust in God and to be baptized in the new ritual of inclusion after circumcision, according to the flesh, had passed away. The cultic temple worship of the Canaanites that is built with hands 
is presented here as one example. Another example, which is superior, which is better, is not the human-made, but the God-made likeness-bearing temple made by his people who are a royal priesthood, built by him alone, without any human influence, unadulterated by the will of man. So especially now during this plague or during the pandemic, it's useful for us to gather face-to-face, but instead we are gathering digitally. And this is important because it is a reminder that his living temple is not in the things that we make, but in the things that he made, which are us. And so we can find use in gathering face-to-face, but sometimes we need to be reminded that gathering in the digital world will take away some of the pride and boasting we may have in our buildings. Aaron Magruder's famous The Boondocks comic, and also uh, later turned into a television show, had as its musical intro this quote of the cornerstone. It was one of my favorite cartoons growing up. And the cornerstone here is, of course, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But also, Peter is, of course, Greek for rock or stone. And we see rock and stone translated here in the RSV playing off of that Hebraic poetry that uses synonyms or synonymous language to emphasize the same point. And so the Petrine legacy or the legacy of Peter, the legacy of the rock, and the reg- the legacy of the belittled one, the legacy of the little one, the Pauline legacy, these two main streams are the streams of water that came from apostleship selected by Jesus. Jesus had them go out, one originally to the Jews and one originally to the Gentiles, combining though for all of the people who put Christ as the cornerstone, who build upon him, who put the human beings upon that human being, who put that rock upon another rock or that little one upon that corner stone. And when we do that, we're able to balance mercy and justice. And that is going to displease almost all the parties involved, but it will please God. One of the most obvious and practical pieces of advice that I could give during these times, whether it's the plague or the issues we have at our borders, or whether it's the great injustice of the public murdering of George Floyd, it's that all people need food and water and all prisoners should be released. So all things that we could do in God's name that will displease some people, but please God, is to give out water, give out food, and release prisoners, whether, again, it's at the border or it's with the protesters involved. There's always something that we can do to build up the living stones that make the temple of God. Verses 11 to 17. Beloved, I beseech you as aliens and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh that wage war against your soul or breath of life. Maintain good conduct among the Gentiles, so that in case they speak against you as wrongdoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to praise those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing right, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Live as free men, yet without using your freedom as a pretext for evil, but live as servants of God, honor all men, love the brotherhood, 
fear God, honor the emperor. This is very difficult, especially for us black people in the United States, to hear that we need to honor the emperor and that we fear God by doing so. This call to obedience has led to the wide-scale slaughtering of our peoples here, and it's very difficult. But we are reminded that we are not just here forever. We are sojourners. We are aliens and exiles. This was a point in chapter one, and it's repeated in chapter two, which means it's being re-emphasized, double-stamped, liked, loved, double-tapped, all of the above. We need to live holy, as it said in chapter one. We need to be unique. We need to be different, set apart. We cannot be the same as the world. We cannot be the same as the Gentiles. We have to be holy. And we have to save the Gentiles before judgment comes. We have to make sure that they are able to taste and see the goodness, the kindness, the forbearance, the steadfastness, and the mercy of the Lord by making ourselves set above and beyond. We honor the emperor without worshiping the emperor. We remember that the earthly fate of Jesus and all of the apostles was banishment, or being put to death in various ways. And so in some sense, there was a dishonoring of the emperor. And so we need to balance this dishonoring or honoring of the emperor. We need to balance fearing God by serving the emperor without being a servant of empire. And we need to realize that when it is against us, it is for our own judgment or teaching unto life. And that we need to be careful in the ways in which we try to enact our own justice against the emperor. But we still need to have the prophetic voice of justice, best exemplified, I think, in the American tradition by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Verses 18 to the end. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to the kind and gentle, but also to the overbearing. For one is approved if mindful of God, he endures pain while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you do wrong and are beaten for it, you take it patiently? But if when you do right and suffer for it, you take it patiently, you have God's approval. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no guile was found on his lips. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he trusted to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls or breaths of life. Jocko Willink's extreme ownership mentality comes to mind here, where we have to really self-assess. Are we being persecuted because things we do wrong, or are we being persecuted for things that we do right? We need to be able to take ownership for our actions and as best as possible be found not to be culpable or responsible for the things that we've done uh, negatively. We need to take ownership of those things and you know, clean our slate, clean our record as much as possible. Here we have the, the quote of the, serving, the, the suffering servant. Again, it's taking us back to the scroll of Isaiah. 
here, it's chapter 53. So I guess we really got to read the scroll of Isaiah if we want to understand the New Testament. And when we understand that, we see the shepherd-sheep paradox. The entire scriptures have this idea of shepherdism throughout, and it's not the shepherdism of Ethiopia. The shepherdism of Ethiopia, from shepherds I actually know, was very agrarian. It was very much sitting in a village or in a town, and you have other livestock along with your sheep. The shepherdism of the Syrian desert is a shepherd leading the way in the front, leading his sheep with his voice in a desolate desert or wilderness that is inhospitable, in which the elements could get rid of you at any day. And so you have to place your trust in God, in one who is above you, so that he can provide for you because you know you can't provide yourself. You are dependent upon him because he is the only one who is independent in any situation. And so we need to realize that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is the shepherd who walks before us, who set an example for us, and who told us to search the scriptures which speak of him and which show us how to live, which are his voice for all generations, but written in specific contexts. So we have to understand that original context. And in the scroll of Isaiah, he is acting like a sheep. He is a suffering servant because even though he has all the power, all the command of all the the glorious angels, all the cherubim and seraphim in which he could have smit people. He couldn't say, I'm going to smite you. I'm going to wipe you out. Instead, he lovingly submitted unto a shameful death. And if we want to follow Jesus, like Father Berrigan used to say, we need to look good on wood, which means we need to be prepared to trust our shepherd, the shepherd of our breaths of life, as we give that breath of life away, laying down our life because there is no greater love than this, as it is written in the gospel according to John. And we need to trust the shepherd's voice and just keep following it and following it and following it wherever it may lead. Glory to God for all things. Yeah.